Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I bring you the expertise of someone who has been to every Grand Prix as a journalist since 1988. It's Joe Sayward. Hello, Joe. Hello, how are you? Some rare time at home for you, Joe, in between quadruple headers. It is. It's been uh, the last one was very long uh, because I spent the time between Texas and uh, Mexico in the US to see my son, who I hadn't seen for two and a half years. Oh wow! So I um I was away from home for five weeks, and I've been back for five days, and I'm going away for another two weeks. So ah, UPIA, UPIA, yeah. But I've, I'd never thought I'd hear you saying UPIA, so I was temporarily thrown there. So you must okay. Be a well, the other fan. thing is the other thing is that this um, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is my six hundredth Grand Prix. Wow! Is that a milestone you will be marking with a celebration? Uh, probably not, because in Saudi Arabia there's no booze allowed, is there? So I don't suppose we'll be um, we'll be tippling any. Otherwise, we'll be in trouble. I expect. Oh, you'll have to behave yourself. Was everyone behaving themselves in Qatar? So uh, I guess that's the first time you've covered a race at that venue. Uh, it is, but in Qatar they're out, they're not quite as um, they're not quite as strict on the old um, booze front. If you stay in the right hotel by asking someone who works in MotoGP to tell you where to stay, you can get some very nice gin and tonics. And um, so, yes, I uh, I was well sorted in Doha. It's an interesting place, um, and uh, they've got lots of money. What they're doing is amazing. What they're doing, the building for the World Cup, and just in general, I mean. It's, I don't know how to describe it really. It's just like um, when you're a kid, you know, you design cities and things and, you know, yeah. fancy buildings. And you know, that's exactly what they're doing there. You know, it's just like, so we'll have an avenue here and the metro station here and we'll have a big palace here. Yeah. This and, kind of stuff. And the, the track, I mean, we all feared the worst. As soon as you say it's designed for bikes, people go, oh, no. Uh, but it, it wasn't bad at all. In fact, there was some decent racing up and down the field. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, the only thing I'd say is that it doesn't fulfil the role of um, what a Grand Prix in Doha was supposed to do, which is to promote uh, the idea that Qatar's a place you want to go on holiday. It didn't? Because all you saw – no, because you just saw desert. Mm. This is one of the problems with like Bahrain. That's why a night race is always a good idea in the desert because then you don't see desert, you see night, um, which is why they've done it in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi as well because – Basically, desert looks like desert, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. However, the long-term plan is to have a street race in Doha when we go back in two years' time oh. after the Welt Cup. Really? Another no, no, street no, race? Yes, but it'll be a different one. This one will be right down the downtown with all the twisty buildings and the silvery things. And uh, they're trying to make it a sort of mix between Monaco, Baku, and Singapore. And uh, so have a good racetrack. Um, surrounded by glitzy things with a bit of sea thrown in. 
Okay. I mean, work you, you just mentioned like three of probably my bottom three tracks on the calendar, to be fair. I mean, certainly Monaco, Baku can be oh, good. Baku, Baku, only Baku, Baku's can... extremely good normally. If there's a crash. If there's a safety car, it's good. If not, it, it, it just stagnates, oh, no, doesn't no. it? Baku, Baku you, you, get, you get good racing. No, no, no. You always get good racing in Baku. This is because it's got a jolly long straight. Mm-hmm. And so people people can actually do things. Anyway, the plan is to have a uh, a jolly long straight in the middle of of uh, Doha, okay. and to uh, have a night race there. And uh, I think you need a night race because it's so very hot in the daytime. So um, you know that's one of the things to look forward to in twenty twenty three because there isn't a race in twenty twenty two because we're all going to watch football, or at least people who like football are going to watch football, and I'm going to watch something else. I'll watch a bit of it, I guess. Okay, so just as we got to know that track and not hate it, we're going to definitely not have it again, ever. Okay. Uh, as far as I understand it, it's definitely not going to be the same again, but you never know. Um, maybe the downturn in oil prices will mean that it's all jolly expensive and they'll just tart up the old place, but I think not. I think they've probably got enough cash floating around. or It just keeps coming out the ground there, you know. Okay. Okay. Look, well, we're moving on. Uh, we're going to Saudi Arabia. A lot of controversy around uh, the the track uh, and, and it being built. And will it be built? Is the track ready? I've seen some pictures. Uh, are we going there for sure? Well, there's people already there. So if we're not going there, we're in trouble. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it, the track is built. Um, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that all the buildings are necessarily finished yet. There might be a few sort of plastic wrap. Um, things going on. I don't know, to be honest. I'll let you know when I get there. But um, yeah, the track is all good. I spoke to the Tilkers, father and son, the other day, and they said everything's fine. They got delayed a little bit by, would you believe, rainstorms in Jeddah um, that set the construction back a, a little bit. But it, as they also added, um, it was a good test because it, it, it checked out the drainage system. So. Um, ah. And that, and that appears to work. So it's always possible that it will rain in, on one of these tracks. In I mean, we have had rain in the past, I think, once in Bahrain. Um, mm. Not sure you ever had it in Abu Dhabi. But, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just going to be another desert racetrack. But, okay. Um, well, this one's, this one's by the sea as well. So there's going to be breezes coming off the sea. The difference is I think that Jeddah doesn't really have a very dramatic um, – I mean, the track looks very dramatic, but there's not much of a skyline or anything like that. But in terms of um, you know what they've done, it's absolutely astonishing what they've done. In yeah. uh, they started work in April, so uh, April to now is what a uh, seven seven months, months, seven months. But can you understand some skepticism when it was looking so doubtful? The pictures look dodgy, and then all of a sudden, no, no, it's done. Everything's fine. Come along. Everything will be okay. If you have unlimited money, you can achieve amazing things. And um, this seems to be the case. Remember, they're only building Jeddah in theory for two or three races. They're going to build a whole new motorsport city outside Riyadh. Oh. With all singing, all dancing and, you know, sort of waterfalls going over the racetrack and and whirly birds and who knows what they're going to do. But that's the plan. So this is just a stopgap. Now, whether that actually happens is another story, but it's all part of the um, glorious Everybody in the Middle East has got a Vision 2030 plan, mm. uh, which is to turn turn their oil-rich country into a country rich in other things, um, which is an interesting idea. And, and um, I suppose the, the, the best Western example that doesn't involve oil is Las Vegas. Let's build something in the middle of the desert and people will come visit it. And they do. So mm. maybe it'll work. Maybe, I don't know if the casinos are part of the, uh, of the, <laughs> of the attraction. Plan. Probably are. But I don't know. It's a bit like if you go to Dubai, for example. I mean, I find Dubai is great for the first three days. Then what do you do? Uh, apart from look at sand, you know. So um, I don't know. I'm going to go and probably going to go and see the expo as well because that's on. The okay. expo 2020 is still going in uh, in Dubai because it didn't happen in 2020. And uh, I've, I've got three, two or three days between. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and- I've got two or three <laughs> tickets and you're invited. And I was like, ah, oh, just give me a minute. I'm going to pack my bags, yeah, Joe. Tickets are, the tickets are cheap as chips. <laughs> I, I was looking them up on the internet. They are, they're giving them away. You just have to fly there, that's all. Oh, okay. But it's, um, I went to the last expo in Milan, I think it was. 
and uh, that was quite good. So I might go. It depends if, if too many crowds. I can't stand all those crowd things. Don't like them much. But oh, I'm with you there, Joe. They always build interesting things. They always build interesting things at expos, you know. And it, actually, if you if you look at the Formula One um, World Championship, every time we go to Montreal, we are in fact visiting the old expo buildings there. All right. Can I ask some super dumb? Oh. There's strange pavilions. There's strange pavilions in the background that Formula One cars whistle past in Montreal, or in fact from the Expo of '67, 1967. Oh, you learn something every day. Just a quick admin note that I never mean to interrupt Joe, but our our signal has to get all the way through to the French countryside down a lane, and then you have a personal guard at your gate that stops and checks the internet for ID. And that's why sometimes it can seem like we're talking over each other. So apologies for that. But can I ask some really basic questions about the Saudi Arabia track? So when they say mm-hmm. they built it, is it is it bu- built on an existing track, on public road? What's the basis? I think that there were some public roads there, but I think what they did was basically bulldoze a lot and start again by the look of it. So... Um, I think it will probably be used for public roads later on, bits of it. Right. But um, it's on the it's on the Corniche, which is, you know, the, basically a bit of land next to the sea, and it um, whizzes up and down, and um, it looks really good. Okay. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. So, and because like Turkey with its new track and its weird new surface last year, it's completely unknown territory. Have you got any inkling of who it's going to suit, how it's going to drive? Uh, it's fast, so it should suit the Mercedes right now. Ah, oh, I'm neutral, but yes, cool. <laughs> I well, know, I think it... I think in term in terms of getting a decent World Championship showdown, yeah. one more Mercedes victory would be very good. I agree. A Hamilton victory would be good for the sport. That's why I. That's why I'm hoping for that. In no, no, but Saudi. you've just upset twenty million Dutchmen who are now jumping up and down and throwing orange things at the um, at the computer. Joe, I've been doing that all season. It's fine. I'm pretty sure they've run out of oranges to throw at this particular turnip. Do you know? Just as a, a just to give you an idea of the amount of support there is for Max Verstappen out there in the real world, I posted a photograph the other day on my Twitter feed. I saw it, which just chugged, which chugs along at you know sort of sensible numbers. And 940,000 people looked at that photograph of Max Verstappen shaking the hand of a marshal, which left me completely speechless because all I want them to do is just click on follow Joe and then I'll be rich, won't I? Yeah. You know, I, can, I, can be a, I can be a social, whatchamacallitter. If you can be, if you got a dollar for each one of those views, that would be good. But we have um, noticed right. in our, we've been paying a lot of attention to the social media within our crew. And there is one member of our crew who perhaps isn't a Max Verstappen fan it might be fair to say mm-hmm. and so he will post mm-hmm. things like max Verstappen was wrong here and he will get a lot of a huge amount of attention of course from from lewis hamilton fans this season so i want i wonder if there's a like a really partisan nature of it as well joe and it's your neutrality that makes you tick along you need to pick a side and go for it with as much toxicity as possible yeah well i can't be bothered at all that. Oh, i mean enough, i'm yeah. I, I believe that journalists are supposed to be objective and uh, propagandists can support one side or the other. But I um, I also just chug along down the middle, and if somebody does something wrong, I'll say so. Mm. And uh, and that goes for everybody. No fear, nor favor, you know, or something like that. Anyway, on uh, but you on do a- get a lot of you, you get a, you get a lot of abuse from one side or the other if you're if you're in the middle. So yeah, it's true. Now, uh, on a slightly sadder note, uh, obviously we lost Frank Williams. A, uh, on Sunday, who passed away at the age of, of 79. We spoke a little about it and his, his legacy on the show on Sunday. But of course, you had a much more personal relationship and, and knowledge of Frank Williams. And as even as a 41-year-old, see, I was saying to some of the newer fans to F1, if you drop into F1 now, you think of Williams as a backmarker team. When I was growing up, they were everything. They had champions. They, were, they were, almost were Formula One to me. Yet even as a 41-year-old, I didn't really know of Frank Williams like pre pre accident, and 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 I didn't see you know him in in his full pomp, and so I'm missing out on that that early story, the the privateer success, the bringing it up from nothing, which I suppose you were were much closer to. Well, actually, I I never knew Frank before the accident. To be honest, uh, I was working in motorsport before he had his accident but i didn't meet him until afterwards so i don't know um 
I met him about three years after the accident and got to know him um, pretty well. And I think um, it's an interesting, it's a weird thing to say, but I once had a conversation with Frank about success. And uh, and I said, is it fair to say that if you hadn't been in a wheelchair, you wouldn't have been as successful as you were? Oh, okay. And he said, yes, that's true, because there would have been diversions. I would have been diverted doing other things. And so, but because that that was that's what he had, that's what he did. And I mean, I don't think it would have been very different because he was always focused on Formula One like nothing else. But you know, to, it was interesting to have that conversation with him because literally, you know, if you're a tetraplegic in a chair, there's not a lot you can do. Um, and that's what Formula One kept him alive, and it kept him alive, you know, a long time. And um. I, he he effectively dropped out of Formula One, uh, I suppose, about sort of six or seven years ago. That recently, um, though. But he, oh yeah, so yeah, he, he went was, on actively uh, for quite long. Yeah, I mean, he was still in he was still in charge of the team in about 2011, 2012. But then his wife uh, died of cancer, and and that really really hit him. Um, which is weird because Frank's one of the, was one of the toughest people you'll ever meet. Um, and brutal sometimes, but um, based on his history, you know, he'd had a lot of um, tough things he had to deal with. So, um, but that really, really got to him. And and then uh, I suppose old age got to him too. And he was, you know, I noticed it in about that sort of era. He, he, we'd start having the same conversations twice. And it was like sort of, Frank, you just said that. and And it was basically, he was, you know, it was the onset of dementia and and so he stepped down from the board and Claire took over and and Frank was the figurehead, but obviously he was kept in the background because he was, you know, they're never quite sure what he was going to do next, to be honest. Ah. Um and then in the last few years he's just he'd been very weak and old and and um uh and he's nearly died a couple of times already, actually. And uh, so I wasn't hugely surprised when when I got the phone call on Sunday, but um, you know it, it's it's terribly sad. But you know it's terribly sad, and as much as eighty year old for a te- tetraplegic man um, yeah. is doing pretty well. Yeah, I I mean I when Williams were having all that success in the nineties, for example, was Frank still a very active team principal at that point? Even beyond his accident. Oh yeah, I mean, no, no. Frank was was the one of the reasons that the team was not successful was that Frank wasn't there anymore. Uh, he was there in spirit, and he was there in you know he'd still wheel himself around the factory um, a little bit, and uh, up until obviously uh, when the team was sold. But um, that they the people were working for Frank and. You know, even if it was, um, I think that waned a little bit, particularly as some of Frank's people were sort of cleaned out as time went by. You know, people thought it was a better idea to get other people because they would be better, and obviously they weren't because um, the team just went downhill. And it did have a sort of revival, but, it, you know, in, with the Mercedes engines in, in 14, but it didn't last very long. Yeah, it and felt like a false storm. Well, I think the the lesson in all this is that the reason the team was successful is it had a force behind it that was Frank and that for a very charismatic man. It's hard if you didn't ever, if you ever saw him on TV or in an interview or listened to him, Frank, the minute you turned any recording instrument on, he went different. And so you never really got Frank um, because he was just, I don't know if he was paranoid about them or, you know, I, so I just don't never used to turn them machines on you know um and we just chat and get on with it and uh and hugely charismatic man and you'll 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 hear people like uh, i saw mario andretti saying you know when frank came into a room everyone knew he was there and i always felt that about mario weirdly you know there, there are certain people who've got these auras about them and frank was one of them and i don't know exactly what that means whether it's in the mind of the viewer sometimes that may be the case um or maybe it's just the innate confidence that successful people sometimes have um but there was a presence and a charisma about frank which was which was spectacular and people followed him 
you know. Mm. And it was it was based a little bit on endless years of failure. You know, this is this is one of the things about people think that uh, coming to Formula One and you're jolly successful straight away. You're not. You're not. That's why Ron Dennis had Project Four. Yeah. That's why Frank Williams spent ten years in pain. Uh, that's why actually Toto Wolff took quite a long time to get things going. Um, Christian Horner. It took a long time to get Red Bull winning um, after he took over. Um, but you know, there's there are you need to have a force. Sometimes the force is the driver. Sometimes the force is the engineer. I'm Patrick Head. Also, you mustn't mustn't overlook the role that Patrick played in Williams. And the other thing is, one should never overlook the role that Ginny Williams, Frank's wife, played in Williams because she was a very important part of the whole. Uh, chemical formula if you like that made it work and yeah in its day it was it was a fantastic racing team and um and it gradually slid and frank was always you know frank would always say um if you say well done this is going really well he goes yes but it might not next week oh, you know and that, yeah. that was his yeah that was that was always his view is you know so look out it could go wrong nothing for granted well, he yes, he didn't really. Mm. And then in the gradual slide, and and if you look at it too over time, because um, he started stepping back, I suppose after the BMW years, and he had her, he had a couple of CEOs come in, and I think that was you know Adam Parr was one of them, and he did a very decent job to try and revive it, but he was a marked man from the beginning because he'd upset Bernie, so um, you know he he was then axed out of the way. Toto came and went, and you know after that Frank sort of ran out of ideas. I think in terms of um, who should run it. So um, I think that him coming away from the coal face, if you like, is is probably the key element in in why the team wasn't successful anymore. Uh, you, you spoke about that those early interactions, and you talk about like someone not being in Bernie's favour. I've been reading obviously a lot of stories about Frank Williams' life and. I read one that was talking about him taking kind of personal loans from Bernie Eccleston. So Bernie's like literally helping Frank and Williams stay afloat and stay in F1. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things about uh, Williams is that Williams was, after Bernie sold Brabham, if Bernie had a racing team, it was always Williams that he sort of you know kept an eye on. And if, yeah, But by then, Frank was very successful, yeah. but certainly in the early times, um, he helped. He helped Frank a lot, um, but Frank always paid. You know, Frank always paid his bills. There are a number of teams over the years that didn't, but Frank was always very, very. You know, he he would, as I, you probably read the stories, he'd come in, he'd pay the he'd pay the the debt, and then he'd say, "Can I borrow some more money?" <laughs> and you know, that was that that was that was Frank. And I remember, uh, goodness me, when would that be? I guess it was about twenty fourteen or. 15 or so frank had this he had this huge house in the country in uh in berkshire which was a lovely house and uh after Ginny died he decided they were going to sell it and it sold for some inordinate amount of money you know like sort of 30 million pounds or something and uh and i spoke to him after that and he said you know this is the first time in my life in my adult life that i haven't been in debt <laughs> <laughs> how old was he then uh, oh that was that was uh, well, he would have been 60, oh, right. well, 70, 70 odd. Yeah. So, so that's how we cut about. Uh, Stuart in our live chat here is just asking, uh, what did Parr do to upset Bernie? Uh, he walked into the first meeting and said, why are the TV uh, revenues about the same as Turkish football? Oh, instead of being lots. And what was the answer to that? Was it because Bernie made money in other ways? There was no, there was no answer to that because that was actually the truth. But oh. it wasn't the right thing to say when you first meet Bernie Ecclestone. You know, that's the truth is that football was at that point a bigger, a bigger draw. So, um, and lots of lots of football leagues made more money than Formula One did at that point. They wasted it more too, probably. But the the thing to do with Bernie was not to walk in and tell him. You know, it was just like. Adam could have walked in with a pot of paint and just painted and target on himself. It would have been easier. Would have got it over with quickly. And in the, and in the fullness of time, you know, when the opportunity arose, a very sharp stiletto went sliding in between his ribs, and that was the end of him. Mm. So, 
So, I mean, I guess the way to leave that is just to to ask about the the legacy. Really, I know uh, Deralton is is in charge and owns that Williams team. I I would like it as an F one fan. I guess it's just nostalgia to to have the name, even though it's not owned by the Williams family anymore. Or do you think it's just it's inevitable that it is we're gonna you know lose lose that name and and like Janai, they're gonna want to call it, rebrand it as like Skoda or something, you know. No, no, I don't think they'll rebrand it because Williams is a brand in its own right that has enormous value. It hasn't been properly exploited, by the way. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I don't think you're going to throw away a brand like Williams. So uh, I think what Darlton will do is they will do everything possible to take it back to being a winner and then exploit that commercially along the way. So that's the logical thing to do, as indeed Frank did. A, you know, If you look back, you'll find that Williams had uh, there were Renault road cars, which were Williams' versions of the Renault road cars, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, Frank had deals going. Remember, don't forget that Williams won the British Touring Car Championship. And Williams also won Le Mans. Oh. And they also built the Metro 6R4 rally car. Did, how did um, that do? Which, well, the Metro 6R4 rally car was an astonishing Peter kit, but unfortunately... Um, the Group B rules were cancelled before it could really get going. But they know Williams did lots of things that people um, don't necessarily know about in addition. And they had Williams Advanced Engineering as well, which did lots of really good stuff. But that's all been – there's so much for it was sold. However, I do have a a certain amount of faith in the new crew. You do. And I think what's – yes, I do. I think Doralton's got lots of money and they understand what they're doing. Um, There's – um, a man called James Matthews, who is in the middle of it all. And James is from another, a, a different um, dynasty of racing, if you like, because his father raced British touring cars, had one of the biggest shunts you'd ever imagine, Dave Matthews, back in the 70s. Um, and James won the British Formula Renault Championship at one point. And uh, he didn't have the money at that point to go on to be a racing driver. And so what he's doing now is living out, you know, his his ambitions in racing, uh, running Williams. And um, now, obviously, he's not running on a day-to-day basis. Oh, That's uh, Jos Capito doing that. But, you know, the first thing Williams has to do is to get um, a manufacturer behind them. And when they've done that, then you can start talking about winning again. Now, I happen to think that, Williams and Porsche will ultimately get together. And I I think that we could then see, you know, look, Laurent Stroll can can go in and tell his investors that this championship, his team will be a championship winning team within a few years. That's fine, but he's got to have his own engine. You do not win world championships as a customer engine. And anybody who leaps up and says, but hang on, what about Red Bull? The answer to that is that, when Red Bull won their championships with Renault, Renault pulled out because of the embarrassment in Singapore. Uh, oh, yeah. And Renault were no longer involved. So Red Bull was, in effect, the factory team until Renault came back. And when Renault came back with its own team, of course, that's when Red Bull and Renault fell out. So, mm. Which is why, ultimately, now Red Bull has to have its own engines because it can't find anyone else it wants to work with. So... Everybody has to have their own engines to win world championships. So if McLaren are going to win another world championship, they need another engine. Mercedes have got one, they're fine. Ferrari have got one, they're fine. Renault have got one, they're fine. Um, Red Bull have got one now, thanks to Honda. Whether they're fine or not, we'll see. But um, I think that uh, using someone else's technology over a period of time, we saw Renault do that back in the 90s, and it sort of faded away with super techs and, and other engine things like that. Mm. Um, and uh, but we'll have to see how they do. They fired lots of people, and the, you know the next generation engine may well be a very good engine, but only because they've got the infrastructure to do it. But if you're going to do it, you've got to have a manufacturer behind it or have your own engine. So wait a minute. So um, you Aston think Martin has to do it? Yeah. So you think Porsche would build an engine like that? Just would enter yes. as yes, an? Yes, I do. Isn't entering as an engine yes. manufacturer incredibly hard and futile? now no because no i don't think so i think the the last information that i have on this subject is that porsche will come in as an engine manufacturer and audi will try to buy mclaren so what um 
Yeah, that's the word on the street. So, um, and Audi buying McLaren makes a lot of sense, to be honest. Um, because you can, I don't know if they want the road car business. The road car business would fit into the portfolio, but I'm told that BMW want the road car business. Wow. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, there, there's lots of things happening at the moment. Hang on. We've got to one pick just a little bit of that. So I was just recovering from uh, the Williams Porsche bomb, and I guess this is with the new engine regulations in 26. That Hopefully mm-hmm. yep. th- they all agreed to make it a little bit easier for an engine manufacturer to come in. And, and then I guess McLaren becomes Audi Audi or McLaren Audi. What what do you envisage? Who knows? But, Who knows? But they, they know. There there are there are very clear negotiations going on right now between McLaren and Audi yeah. over the future, and I think that Porsche is going to do something different because Porsche and Audi, although everyone says they're under the same Volkswagen banner, they're not. They are, but they're not. Um, I need to explain that. Don't <laughs> yeah, <I>? um, please. <laughs> Volkswagen is a big company. Everyone's heard of it. And everyone, it's the one of the biggest car companies in the world. What not a lot of people know is that Volkswagen is actually controlled by a company called Porsche. It's not the other way around because the right. Porsche family company, the investment company, owns the majority of the not the majority. It owns more shares than anybody else in Volkswagen. Ah, so if they're going to spend the money, they are going to want it to be Porsche, not Volkswagen. Well, yeah. I think. I, no, I think they want both because they are you – know, if you look at Porsche and Audi, they've done different programs um, against one another several times already, like at Le Mans, for example. They're doing it again soon in LMDH, whatever that is. Um, so – and they, they, you know, they can compete against each other. Yeah. And so I think I think we can see them both doing it. Whether they do it with the same engine or a different engine is an interesting point, but – I think um, the technology may sh- may be shared, but I oh, think uh, I see. not necessarily all. Right, I'm with you now. That took some following, by the way. So you could have McLaren and Williams essentially getting their engines from the same mother company, but they might be badged differently. So we could have five... Not just badged differently. They they might be different. Yeah, okay. But, but the technology mm. may be shared. If you see what I mean, but two factories just to you know be fully economical about it. So we might have. Yeah, but they've got they've got they've got them already. Yeah, these factories already exist. I mean, if you're Audi and you want to have a whole team, then you buy the McLaren factory. <clears throat> but Audi's motorsport facility they've got more than most Formula One teams. They've got their own test tracks. Audi and Porsche they both have test tracks, in addition to all the necessary. So, um. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. What they don't have necessarily is the level of F one expertise that you find in England, which is always the same problem everywhere. Um, although some would argue that there's enough expertise around Stuttgart in Formula One um, not to have to worry too much. Uh, it's, it's interesting because you get so many engineers out of the 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 big engineering colleges in the UK. And there's a lot of crossover. Basically, they either go to F1 for the glamour or they go into the defence industry. And so there is that hot pot of, of engineers. And then they get bored in the defence industry <laughs> and go into Formula 1 afterwards. Well, there you go. Uh, no, no, but it happens yeah. all the time. If you look in the aerospace industry, if you look through the top engineers in Formula 1 today, a lot of them started out in industry, got bored designing winglets on 777s or whatever they did, and came to Formula 1 because you get the result every, every 10 days. It's more exciting. <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't argue with you that the de, that the F1 is more exciting than the defence industry. No argument from here, boss. <laughs> but look at that future F1. You've, it's what I've lost count now. You've essentially got five works teams in that in that scenario uh, with five different. But you should engine... have more. No, no, you should have. You should have more than five. You should actually have. If you think about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, I forgot to press the button, didn't I? Yes, Joseph. Um, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, you have car companies in Formula One. You have got Mercedes, Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, Aston Martin, mm. McLaren, yeah, Alpine. Red so that's yeah. you've already got six, six car companies. And how many engine companies are there? Four. Renault. Well, there's Ferrari, three and Mercedes. And there's three yeah. and a, there's three and a three half, and half with Honda. Yeah. So okay. you've got six car companies and four other teams. Um, and fundamentally, 
or each of those car companies, if they're serious about being in Formula One to win, as opposed to riding on the back of someone else's engines. I mean, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Romeo Ferrari, or Aston Martin Mercedes, or McLaren Mercedes, to be honest, all of these things, they should have their own engines. And if they're cheap engines to be made, why not make them? And they will and be it's cheaper. a bit like Red Bull. Red. Yeah. Well, they will be cheaper because there'll be a cost cap um, and there'll be a price cap as well. So, And they will also be designed in such a way as to make spending money more difficult. Making spending more money more difficult. So a good economical thing to do would be to have a bunch of customer teams filling the grid down the back because then each engine is more cost productive. That's true, but then again, the value as a branding exercise is less good. Oh, I just want a thirty-car grid. Why can't no, I? No, no. I mean, it? if you if you if you're like if you're like um, uh, Red Bull, you now have uh, a Red Bull drink team, and you have a Red Bull fashion team. That works. You're in two businesses. Why not? I'm not quite sure where the engine program fits in, but that's that's really just to to protect the two teams. Now, if you look at the others, customer team situation, Williams Williams is a brand that isn't properly used, but it has lots of potential. So they don't build anything. Um, yeah. I mean, they do build some stuff, but they don't have a particular product beyond racing, which means there's potential to have one. I, I, as much as it's sort of sad to, quote unquote, lose the privateer spirit of McLaren and, and Williams, it is exciting if it just turns out into an out-and-out -out broad manufacturer war in f1 with lots of different teams lots of engine suppliers that makes me optimistic as a fan i'm looking forward to that no i shouldn't be optimistic oh we've is that on or off oh yeah up, up to a point that up to a point that's true except that you have the traditional boom and bust cycle of motorsport which is you have too many manufacturers some of them have to lose therefore some of them leave mm. so it goes up and down and the skill is to have as many staying in all the time as possible, which is Formula One has done very well in that, to have four yeah. who have stayed a long time. But now you've got three others that are riding on the coattails of manufacturers, and they're not really um, manufacturers. So, you know, you have to – they have to all figure out because they're never going to – I mean, if, if you think that a customer team is going to win a championship, you are dreaming. You, it's just not going to happen. Because, I mean, people say, well, what does it matter to the manufacturer? It matters a lot if they've got a team in there already because they don't like being beaten by their customers. It makes them look like idiots, doesn't it? So mm -hmm. you don't want that to happen. And if you look back in history, how many Ferrari-engined teams other than Ferrari have ever won races? Is it not many? I can't think of uh, a single. We had a Sauber on pole one. once, didn't we? And that was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a Toro Rosso with Mr. Vettel driving, as I recall. That had a Ferrari engine, I think. There we go. Monza. And there was a car in 1961. There was a car that was ostensibly run by uh, a semi-works team with uh, Giancarlo Baghetti, who won a race. Um, won his first race, actually. But, um, you know, if you're a Ferrari customer, it means you're going to lose. So yeah, that's just the way it is. And um, Mercedes customers haven't won much either, apart from Daniel Ricciardo this year, of course. Mm. Monza again. Maybe it's something about Monza, Joe. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I've got some listener questions for you, Joe, if you're up for it. What do you think? Yes. All right, let's see. Let's see where they're going. Jack Reeves says, uh, Joe, do you think the bickering between Horner and Wolf has gone too far. It's getting a bit WWE, isn't it? I'm waiting for for one of them to come in with a metal chair. Sorry, I don't get the metal chair reference, but uh, never mind. The World Wide um, Wrestling Federation. No, Joe, I now have to explain to you all of WWF. No, no. Uh, you know, it's become... Okay, so wrestling is sports. Do, sports do they hit each other with chairs? With is, chairs that, is that what yeah. you're saying? Because it's sports entertainment. Oh, okay. And, and for them, the result is fixed by the management. But you can't... It helped but feel like Demila Kali obviously loves Netflix, talks about it all the time. I just saw an article about uh, a Netflix Drive to Survive live element. So they're going to stream some stuff as well. And then they're deliberately putting Horner and Wolf in the same uh, press conferences. And are, are we getting a little bit into staged drama? No, I don't think so. I think there's some good old-fashioned distaste between the two of them. <laughs> well, good. Um, which is based on... Which is based on um, competition fundamentally they both want to win and um they both feel aggrieved that the other one has been um uh, unkind i suppose and i know that as you can see from toto's reaction when lewis won in brazil that was screw you lot we've beaten you on the racetrack and that was because i think he felt there was interference off the racetrack going on Mm -hmm. um and he didn't like it. Was that? And vice versa. Yes, of course there was. <laughs> Toto's not a, he's not a fantasist, you know, he didn't yeah. make it up. Um, that, but, you know, that's what that whole business in, in Qatar was all about. The, uh, the, the Verstappen right to protest thing was just, um, it was just playing the game. And, basically diversionary tactics if you are trying to beat somebody the best way to beat them is to get their eye off the ball so if you make something go bang on the left when something goes bang on the left i always look to the right now that's just an old habit i have because there's a diversionary tactic is usually trying to hide something else so you know that's what's going on at the moment it's just anything you can do to try and beat the other people take their eye off the ball uh take some of their concentration away then they'll do it because this is a very tight championship, and it is t- Formula Formula One. Formula One is total war. If that's Horner's tactic, it didn't work very well. He's distracted them to the point that they absolutely thumped them in Brazil and Qatar. Well, that's true. He also distracted himself by calling Marshall's silly names and stuff. So uh. you know, he's Christians hasn't been playing awfully well of late. But um, you know, he's up against a, a, a proper proper old school racing team. You know. Mercedes is a very, very hard operation to beat. And even if you're Max Verstappen, who is obviously an extremely talented driver, he's got to have the car to do it. But it's good to see that the drivers haven't been dragged into this too much. It was good to see on the podium in, I think it was in Brazil, to be honest, I can't remember which race it was. There have been so many recently, but Max and, and Lewis chinking champagne bottles on the podium. Um, and it, it wasn't show. That was respect, mate. You know, mm. you did the job. And it's a bit like, you know, when Fernando came up onto the podium and was chinking with Lewis and all this kind of stuff too. You know, these guys are, they should have respect for one another. And they do. There's very little animosity, actually, personally, between Verstappen and Hamilton. Not publicly, yeah, anyway. Why should there, yeah. But why, why should there be? I mean, there's occasional, those two incidents earlier in the year, 
one was predominantly Lewis's fault, one was predominantly Max's fault. That's what the stewards said. I tend to agree with them from what I saw. And there's a level of which both drivers felt the other one was being a bit naughty. But um, this is, as, as Lewis and, and Max have both said, this is a world championship fight. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to be nice about it necessarily. Your elbows are going to be out. So long as you are respectful up to a point, <laughs> that's the important bit. But I think that, you know, both of them want to, want to be clean. Nobody wants to win a world championship by driving dirty because you don't win. At the end of the day, there's annoying people like me who would always say, well, of course, he won that by doing this. And, um, you know, the classic example of that would be Michael Schumacher and his 94. various adventures where, as far as I'm concerned, Michael Schumacher never deserves to be treated as the world champion of 1994 because he, he played unfairly. And, um, and that's why when you, leave, when you read all-time great um, assessments by learned journalists, you rarely see Michael in the top two or three, even if his numbers say that he is the best yeah. or was the best until Lewis beat him or um, matched him, equaled yeah. him at least would be, I'll beat him in race wins, but um, you know, it's how you do it is just as important about what you achieve. And I don't think that they understood that necessarily back in the nineties in the same way that it's understood today. So good to see those two kind of not making it personal. Personally, I, I like that. The team principles are making it personal. Everything Horner says is like, oh well, if that's what Toto thinks, blah blah blah. With the protests, Toto Wolf said something about there was a gentleman's agreement that they didn't protest certain things and he felt that Christian Horner had had broke it and that now they were going to protest everything. Is that a real thing? Does that make sense? Is there like a, a protocol with the team principles of, of when and what they protest? You no. can only have a gentleman's agreement when you have two gentlemen. <laughs> okay. And that's all we've got time for this one day. <laughs> No, but it's true. If somebody if somebody breaks the, if somebody breaks a gentleman's agreement, they're no longer a gentleman. So wow. um, that's just how it is. You know, you, it, it's 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 really very simple. I mean, it's a question of uh, honor more than anything else. And some people value winning more than they value their honor. But at the end of the day, when they get old and grey, they'll be able to look back and think, "Well, I didn't really win that one fairly." You know, some of them won't because people have an amazing ability to delude themselves. Yeah, but, that's um, what I was going to say. Just delude yourself. <laughs> you can go through a whole of life deluding yourself, but in the dark moments, <laughs> when you stop to think about it, you'll say, "Yes, but I was cheating," mm. and you'll know it, even if you don't admit it to yourself. You're you'll only still know cheating it. yourself. And that's why. Yeah. Exactly, cheats only cheat themselves, and that is that is fundamentally why. One of the reasons I think there's been less cheating in Formula One over the years in the modern era, because people understand that now. Okay, a couple more questions then, just around in and around this topic. Uh, Miguel is asking, what does Joe think about the Mercedes rear wing? Is it potentially illegal or Red Bull playing games? We sort of covered that. Um, I, I think... I'm well, it's more, very simple. If, yeah. it passes, yeah. if it passes the tests, it's legal. Mm. Even if it's not in the spirit of the regulations, you know, every in the history of Formula One is dotted with people who found ways to make the car pass a test and then make it different on the racetrack. There's nothing illegal about that until the FIA changes it and you don't pass the test. Okay. That's I think that's it's just a, clever. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's just clever. Now there's a difference between a grey area and outright cheating. Um and that difference is we've seen a few of those over the years, but we won't go into too much detail about that because people get very upset if you say they were cheating. But a grey area is a grey area and a cheat is a cheat. Okay, let's go to some more questions uh, then. Steve, the brofit, uh, says, have you got any wild speculation or inside track about which team might have found a magic bullet for next season, like a, a double diffuser from Braun? Any 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 sniffs? No, there's nothing no. at the moment. Sorry, Steve. Everybody's everybody's positive about next year because you would be, but yeah. the smart people are all saying, "Yeah, but everyone's positive." So uh, it's not a good idea to be too positive because we have to. It, it's not how you're doing within your own empire that's important. It's how you're doing in relation to the others, and we don't know that until the cars are put on the track against one another. So. They've all got their targets and they're all hitting their targets, surpassing their targets. 
But are their targets the right level? You know, I we'll will make the very boring prediction that the people who are really good at making race cars in this last era will also be really good at it next season as well. And I think they will be better than they are this year because new formulas generally tend to uh, spread out the field mm. and not, not draw yeah. it closer together. No, it doesn't mean it. No, it doesn't mean it's going to be a disaster. I'm just saying that it tends to, you know, if you leave a formula the same for a long time, everyone closes up because knowledge is gathered, uh, expertise, um, clever little tweaks. Everyone does all the things, they learn all the stuff, and everyone ends up quite close together. But, you know, um, copying doesn't always work best. For example, look at, look at Aston Martin this year. What a disaster that is compared yeah. to Racing Point last year. Now, why that is, I can't explain it really, because they shouldn't be that far back. Um, because given what they were, I mean, they won a race this time last year. Well, they won a race because Sergio Perez uh, wouldn't be in a Mercedes if they hadn't. You know? Red Bull, so, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> sorry, uh, yes. Yes, yes. let's try and get that one right, shall we? Yeah, Sergio, he, if, he hadn't won, if he hadn't won the Bahrain or whichever Grand Prix it was, I can't remember which one was which now, but if he hadn't won that race, actually, I think he won Sakir, didn't he? Um, yes. from the yeah, back if he hadn't won that he wouldn't have had the he wouldn't have the red bull drive today um and but he was you know he would have been out of formula 1 which is kind of ironic isn't it but um to go back to the, the point you know last year racing point was a winning force okay somebody had to stumble for it to happen but it happened and this year that you wouldn't even dream of them getting close to winning anything so why is that Technically, technically, everything's supposed to have been frozen as well, up to some extent. Is it to do? With, is it to do with leadership, perhaps? As I was discussing with Frank, you know, you've got to have somebody who you believe in. I don't know. Maybe it's that. So, I mean, a little while ago, what we were hearing was that uh, Otmar Schaffnauer was uh, basically came up with the, the statement saying that Lance Stroll was one of the most talented raw talents in Formula One, and everyone kind of went, "Hey, eh? what's he up to?" And then we heard that that was kind of a last ditch <laughs> effort to reconcile his relationship with Papa Stroll, and strongly rumored to be on his way out now. So that doesn't speak to the leadership very well, does it? Well, I think you know, it's, it, no, that's not that's middle management in that particular oh, case. I see. Um, the leadership is who owns the racing team, and. Uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But but fundamentally, um, I, I just want to say, you know, there was a, a famous scandal in Britain, the Profumo scandal, and a girl called Mandy Rice Davis. And when somebody said, you know, this is what this other book did, she said, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? And that's I what I would respond to with with uh, with Otmar praising Lance to the hills. I mean, Lance has has a lot of abilities. But he's not the full package. No, and he's not one and of the greatest tries... raw talents. Yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Every so often he does things. You think, where did that come from? But that's not enough. You know, you've got to have that and more. And so I think that anybody who is deluding themselves that this is the case, I mean, maybe he'll develop. You, you also have to add that. But he has had quite a lot of years in Formula One already. So, um. I, I think you just have to, if you're if you're the father of a racing driver, you have to be very sanguine about uh, the realities. I don't think you can believe the dream for too long. It works against you if you believe the dream, okay. and you have to believe the reality. And that's, I think, something that that Aston Martin has to work their way through, or Lance has to just. You know, developed to such an extent that everyone goes, wow, yeah, dad was right. Yep, it might happen. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Shall we go from one then billionaire? It, then, again, then again, it might not. It might not. Should we go from one billionaire to another? Because the next question is also billionaire related from uh, Shushan on Twitter. Is there any serious talk about Mazepin getting out of the light? Uh, getting? Oh, is there any difference in light of Mazepin having a big difference between himself and, this is what they're saying, the rest of the drivers, is there any prospect of him just leaving F1 and going, well, I'm I'm not up to standard, because he didn't, doesn't seem to be? I don't think that's fair. Um, yes, he's been, he's been off um, 
not always, but he's been he hasn't always matched Mick Schumacher's pace. There are lots of different reasons for that. <clears throat> um one of which is Max uh, Max Mick Mick has been much better than people thought he was going to be. Mick's also got a lot more experience than Mazepin has. Uh and there's a level of which also some of the tracks Mazepin has never been to, which Mick has been to. And, and then if you start analysing the mistakes, you'll find that Mick and Mazepin have made almost the same number of mistakes. In fact, I'm not even sure that Mick isn't ahead at the moment. But why would he give up? Well, he'd give up if he doesn't want to do it anymore, but he obviously does like doing it. So why is he going to stop? He's not. Are the team going to stop? No, they're not. So no, it's not going to stop. Okay. Uh, can I just argue one point there though you know you're saying that you can argue as much as you like (laughs) Mazepin has less experience and hasn't been to these tracks well I mean whose fault is that shouldn't he have just spent more time getting more experience and going to more tracks and doing more racing maybe maybe he should but you know that's the way that's the way of the world you know if you look at um if you look behind what you see i.e not just the racing race meetings uh, people go testing in old cars in lots of places. And Mick's had a very, very good grounding in that respect. Mazbin had, has had some of that too. Guan uh, Yu Zhou has had a lot of that. And we'll see that um, when he appears next year because he's been out testing Renault Formula 1 cars all kinds of places, uh, very quietly in the background, old ones. Oh. You know, you're allowed to do yeah. that. And there are other programs going on. Porsche will be doing much the same kind of thing, I'm sure. In in fact, to be prepared for Formula One in the modern era, you need to do that because otherwise you just get thrown in at the deep end and you're going to get you're going to get beaten. So I think Mazepin has been a little bit disappointing this year. I thought he would be doing better by now, but I don't think he's been an embarrassment. I do think he has natural speed. Does he have the same natural speed as the greatest drivers around? No, probably not. But he does have speed. And you know you can't you can't knock that. He doesn't necessarily have the same racecraft. He's not as as um, perhaps he's not as skilled at setup. Perhaps he's not as as, uh, as focused on the task as Mick. I Joe, think he probably Joe, is. But, I, you know. I think you've been very generous there. But what we've said is, apart from raw speed, racecraft, setup, uh, desire, hunger, <laughs> attitude, approach, we've named like all the things that make you a good race driver. There, surely. Isn't there just a point uh, where we just natural, say... He... No, no, natural talent is also part of it, isn't it? You know, what I'm saying, it's the same with Stroll or with Latifi as well, another example. Um, <laughs> they've, they've all got elements of what they need, but they haven't all necessarily got all the elements of what they need. Now, Mick is has been impressive because he seems to be doing a better job um, with what he has. I don't think that Mick has is necessarily the fastest race driver in the world. And, you know, I just don't think he is. But he's done a very good job with all the other elements. So this is, you know, you have to judge drivers on their results. And if you judge their drivers on their results, Mazepin has been a disappointment compared to Mick, which is the only comparison you have. But Mm -hmm. there are reasons why that may have been the case, which I've explained some of them. And we'll see next year, I think. That's a good way of putting it. Um... We'll see next year if Nikita has learned the lessons of this year and if he can be uh, equal to or beating Mick next year. We'll see. Okay. But, um, you know, I don't think he's I don't think he's embarrassing. OK. Uh, Rob has made a comment here in our chat room. Mazepin has a, a good few million elements of what a modern F1 driver needs. Comment of the week. And, 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 Sorry, Joe. Yeah, but you can say the same about Mick. Yes. You can say the same about Latifi. You can say the same about Stroll. You can say the same about almost everybody because there's nobody in Formula One who comes from a um, – well, I'll say that again. There are some people in Formula One who come from poor backgrounds, but they were picked up by yeah, you need, rich people. You need backing sponsors early. along the way. Yeah. You need backing early on, and you need a lot of backing. And there's a, a lot of people in Formula One who are richer than you think – as well, their daddies are quite like rich. you don't think of Norris I'm as a, being a, a rich billionaire pay driver, but he's incredibly uh, rich. Yes, yeah, this is true. And you don't think necessarily of as George having huge amounts of money behind him, but there was enough, mm. you know, and otherwise he wouldn't be there. 
you know. Fair enough. All these, all these people, either, unless you have a red bull behind you, um, and then, you know, you have different problems then. But if you have a red bull or a Mercedes uh, looking after your costs, then you can do stuff. But, you know, nobody, nobody is really struggling up the greasy pole with no money. I mean, you know, I, I suppose you could say Dan Tictum, but he's been struggling down the greasy pole more than anything. But uh, no comment. <laughs> can I can I end on well, one no, joke? You, you, don't, you don't have to have a comment. You don't good, have to have a good, comment. Good, I'm good. sure that I'm sure that Dan's got one out there waiting. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, let, let's. Um, I'm, I'm wary of the time for you, Joe. Uh, just one last uh, listener question because it's, it's pertinent, I think, to the the championship. And uh, oh my god, I'm just. I'm so nervous and excited for the next two races coming up. Anything goes wrong for either team and, and, and that's it. Pretty much done. I know only Max can win it this weekend. But if Ma- you have to think if Max has a DNF and Hamilton gets 28 points, you know, that's all but done, barring, you know, they're relying on away goals and miracles by then. Is it true, asks um, Sion, uh, Bobby, sorry, Bobby, is it true that Max Honda wanted Max to take a new engine in guitar, but Red Bull went against it? Because here's my thinking, if they take a new engine here in Saudi Arabia, then they have more power for the final. If they can, if they just concede this next race almost, is that a smart move? And, and is that true, what Bobby said? Did Honda want Max to take a new engine? Uh, I don't know the answer to that first one, um, because it wasn't something that passed beneath my eyes. Um, and whether or not it's a good thing, you know, the, the engine management um is an important element in in the championship because when you get a new engine you do get a better performance generally speaking but then it's a matter of how fast they tail off and stuff like mm. this um because they do tail off and you know a tired engine is a tired engine i know that's kind of bizarre thing to say about lumps of metal but mm-hmm. you know they do they do grow weary um when they're when they're getting up towards the end of their life so yeah if if a driver has um the thing is you don't want to be taking penalties this late in the in the year because particularly at tracks where you either you don't know if you can overtake or you know you can't overtake um it's really not a good idea to be taking those kind of penalties so i think probably um in a theoretical world we're probably finished with the engine strategies but we may not be Interesting. I don't know for certain, but but it, you know, the 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 penalty of not of having to start um, back down on the grid uh, is a serious penalty, and that's what actually was most remarkable about Lewis in Brazil is he just got on with it, and did it with a you know from the very back. Mm. Yeah, it was impressive, Joe. That what, was one of the that that was one of the best drives I've seen in six hundred Grand Prix. So, um, five hundred ninety nine. Right up there. Let's let's not jump but, the gun. No, uh, well, that's an interesting point. I've been having this argument actually with somebody. <laughs> Have I already done six hundred Grand Prix? Because I went to Australia and yeah. paid for it, and uh, and doesn't that doesn't count? But I also went to Belgium. Um, does that count? Because yeah, they well, fired up the engines in Belgium. <laughs> there was a result. Did they go racing? Yeah, there was a, there was points. So I mean, from your point of view, that counts. So you've so already- no, that, that, not, I I agree with you. I agree with you. That's true. But so I've been to I've been to six hundred races, but <laughs> there were only five hundred ninety nine actually run. So. Oh, I don't know. I think that counts. In, Joe, let me be the first to congratulate you on six hundred Grand Prix as a journalist. It's an amazing run, actually, an amazing career. Not really. There's there's quite a few with six hundred Grand Prix, but oh. there aren't many who've done it consecutive races without missing one. Nice. Perhaps there's nobody who's done, and you still haven't missed close. One. You still so, haven't missed I one. Think, well, I haven't missed one since since the Spanish Grand Prix of '88. Okay, <laughs> it's not a bad run. When do you leave? Which is like 500, oh. 589 or something. I don't know. Oh, but, Joe, you're gonna have to um, move closer so we don't get this lag. I'm sorry. I know France seems nice, but you're just gonna have to move to perhaps uh, Aylesbury or something like that, just so we're less lag <laughs> on the old internet. Uh, but you're heading off to Saudi Arabia. When do you leave? <laughs> uh tomorrow morning tomorrow morning okay and then that's you tomorrow morning being wednesday morning so i will get into saudi on thursday morning but as things don't start on thursday till very late in the day um because all the all the uh i mean i think probably the press conferences will but 
Um, to be honest, I'm not that interested in those. But uh, track action is all starting in the evening, so everyone's going to be leading, leading strange lives, upside down lives. Um, right? Uh, is the, the race? Sort of is, it, is, it, is it? It's not a nice night race, is it? It is a night race. Which one? The Saudi Arabia. Yes, yeah, Sa- Sa- oh. Saudi is a night race. Yes. Wow. So they've got. I think it's an eight, eight, eight o'clock start or something like that. So in the UK, I believe the race starts at half five. So, oh, sorry, five five. No, half five. Yeah, it's half five. I think in the UK, the TV times are listed at. I don't want to. Throw oh, I don't know what the off. TV. I don't know what the TV times are, but all I know is it's an evening race, and uh, we got to take into account the time zones, which I guess in Saudi is two hours, three hours. I don't know. Let's one do one or the other. Let's do a public service for GMT and say that qualifying is five p.m. on the fourth, and the race is seventeen thirty, so five thirty p.m. GMT. That's an odd start time, but there we go, uh, Joe. Let's get people to. No, that mu- that must be that, that must be the programming, not the actual race start. Perhaps. All right. Sorry, I've I've muddied the waters. Joe, safe travels <laughs> is what the uh, the chat room is saying, and let's send people Thank over you. to where they can find you at Joe Saywood on Twitter, where you will now be a uh, a, a, a one sided shock jock type tweeter to to raise. Now that you've had a taste of that that viral photo, yeah. Yeah, all I'm going to have my lips done too. So. Yeah, hot takes, all hot yeah. takes all the time. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I have no idea what that is. So. Search for Joe Saywoods on the internet and it is the first uh, first search term that comes up. You've got your blog, you've got your green notebook and GP Plus magazine to go and subscribe to. Yeah, if you actually want to see all the range of things, you can go to flatoutpublishing.com where everything is linked together there and you can whiz off and buy books and buy subscriptions and buy everything yeah, yes buy stuff and you can also follow me uh, on the internet too at spanners ready or richard ready on facebook come and follow me my dms are open let's be friends until our saudi arabia race review all i'd ask is that you work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast with joe and spanners and sometimes the right music Yeah, I think it is 5.30, you know. 5.30 p.m., Joe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.